Um, we've been dotting around the second part of the book of Isaiah for a few weeks. Um, and I was just thinking, actually, I'd quite like to know what's going on in Isaiah um, and what's, what's the historical context of it. Um, the previous slide was kind of um, there for those who don't need glasses, but I think it gets a bit smaller for this next one. Um, but what's going on? So a tiny bit of context to start with. Uh, Tanya is the real expert on this. I'm a complete amateur. But about 500 years before this second part of the book of Isaiah, uh, King David had brought the struggling tribes of Israel together and carved out a secure Israel state, Israelite state. But then King Solomon came, and soon after King Solomon died, it divided in two, a north and a south kingdom, uh, and false worship, weak leadership, internal struggles uh, made them weaker and weaker, and uh, things dis deteriorated. And then in the first half of the 8th century BC, which is the first part of Isaiah, um, things looked up a bit. They had good kings in the north, Jeroboam II, in the south, Isaiah. And there was some prosperity and security again. But the same happened with all the other powers around that time, which was Assyria, Babylon, and Persia. Um, and I was just thinking of Ukraine now with those superpowers standing either side of it, squashed in the middle. Russia keeping friends for the moment with China, and then Europe, NATO, the American forces on the other side. Uh, Assyria overran Israel in the north, and Judah in the south became under their control as well. Um, and then it was that Isaiah stepped up as a spokesperson to help God's people perhaps begin to understand why they may have ended up in the sorry state they had. There was a short respite from the Assyrians, some freedom, but then they were utterly defeated by the Babylonians, and we come sort of 200 years after that for the second part of Israel. And a few thousand from Judah were sent into exile near Babylon. And uh, they had about 50 years, I think, of exile. King Cyrus of Persia took control of the Babylonian Empire then and gained control as part of the Persian world. So they were from pillar to post. So let's have a, a look at this second slide, exiled from home. And these were the sorts of feelings that they had. There's the sort of desert picture, just to try and put yourself and imagine the harsh reality of where they were. And so in the second part of um, the book of Isaiah, we're in the 6th century BC, the Jewish people push from pillar to post, feeling abandoned. They've lost their way, rudderless, powerless, insecure, frightened. And then they receive these prophecies. So on to the next slide, please. What makes us feel abandoned? Just a few possible things that might make us feel isolated on our own. Jesus's disciple, Peter, wrote in his first letter uh, to mainly non-Jewish Christians, and he addressed them right at the top of the letter, like we might say, dear Malk or whatever. He said, to God's elect strangers in the world scattered throughout. And then he listed a whole series of cities. And he went on, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor 
when Jesus Christ is revealed. So we're going to come in a moment, uh, Kay's going to come up and do our reading, uh, or the first part of it, and it's just after one of the servant song prophecies um, that come in Isaiah, the four of them, I think, in chapter 42, 49, 50, and then the one that we're most familiar with, many readings at Christmas, chapters 52 and 53, how they describe Yahweh's chosen servant. And scholars have interpreted these servant songs in a number of different ways, often the way with prophecy. You can see hints of what the prophecy means in different ages, in different ways. Some have seen it as uh, Israel. Uh, Some people have said that it is uh, the Jewish nation uh, and others individuals, and of course, most of all, Jesus himself. You'll remember the Ethiopian eunuch, chapter 10, I think, no, chapter 8 of Acts, when Philip went down the Gaza road to speak to him, and he he hadn't a clue what chapter 53 of Isaiah meant, which is what he was reading, and Philip was able to explain that phrase and those verses, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, explaining its fulfillment in Jesus. So, Kay, would you mind reading, coming up and reading the first few verses of Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8 onwards? Absolutely. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you, and in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside the springs of water. I will turn my mountains into roads, and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Thank you. So despite all those promises, look what Zion said back. The Lord's forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Let's have the next slide, please. So back to the one we were looking at before. Um, Perhaps you've watched the film Home Alone, have you? I suspect a lot of you have. Uh, I'd really wanted to show you the clip of the parents on the airplane traveling on their holiday. This is a really wealthy, wealthy American family, those who haven't seen the film, and it's mayhem. They have loads of kids, and they're all packing and getting ready, and they get in the the car or the the little bus to take them to the airport. And the mum 
Um, I think that the parents were in first class and they'd relegated all the kids to second class, as I recall. Um, but the mum's just putting away, she's sitting next to her husband in first class, putting away the family passports, checking that she's got them all. And she starts telling her husband she's an uneasy feeling that they've forgotten something. And they check with each other. They locked everything up. Yep. Um, they think they may have left the garage open, uh, turned the heating down, and then suddenly she sits bolt up, upright in her seat and screams, Kevin! Because they have forgotten their annoying youngest little boy at home. And so he's forgotten home alone. Uh, maybe you remember about 10 years ago, the then Prime Minister famously went out for a pub lunch one Sunday with his family. They'd been driving home afterwards for about 10 minutes when David Cameron and his wife Samantha suddenly realized they'd left their eight-year-old daughter Nancy behind at the pub. I don't know if you have any stories like Home Alone <laughs> or whether you have any stories like um, the Camerons or perhaps whether you've ever felt like Kevin or Nancy and those words at the end of uh, that verse that Kay just read us, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. Well, I'm just going to ask Kay to come back up and lead, read to us the next two verses. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Amen. Thank you very much. We'll leave that slide up whilst I just say a few words here, because these words must have had an astounding effect on their audience. If you think back to those desolate and hopeless exiles, those that had been saying, God has forgotten us, God has forsaken us, but God has not forgotten them. In this prophecy, the speaker or the writer has reminded them of God's unending compassion, which will refresh them, and he explains in those earlier verses how they'll have an easy path made for them to return home. Even if a breastfeeding mum could forget her baby, which is pretty much impossible, uh, although those examples we've just thought about um, happen, kids do get forgotten, God won't. And finally, God won't forget them because he's engraved them on his hands. Were you one of those people at school, maybe you're still one of those people who writes reminders in biro on your hands somewhere to make sure you don't forget, either on your palm, or I think I used to write just above my thumb here, because I saw that more often. Perhaps you have a tattoo somewhere, I'm not going to embarrass anyone here, with the name of someone you love or have loved. Maybe you've had that removed. <laughs> um, but people put tattoos with mum on, don't they? Or their girlfriend or their wife. Um, and it's as if God has your name written like that. Oh, Joe, Rachel, Rob, Joan, Gary, Dinah, Gavin. God does not forget you. He's got you engraved on the palm of his hands. Or perhaps you wear one of these. 
Not quite. So yeah, a wedding ring. They remind us of who we love. They help us remember this ring on my right hand, not my wedding ring here, that I wear is my father's wedding ring. He would have been 99 this last December. And it's a very short talk today because it's a very simple point. There aren't three points today. It's I will not forget you. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And I want to finishing, finish by showing you one of my most treasured possessions. Don't laugh, but here it is. Uh, a bookmark I made with my father on my ninth birthday. He looks terribly stern, doesn't he? But he wasn't at all. He must have been doing passport photos, I guess, at the time. He had a matching one with my photo in the little window box. And we lived in Africa, and we made these one Sunday afternoon before I was sent to England to come to school. And each night, I'm sorry to say, for the next nine months or so, I cried myself to sleep um, in a cold school dormitory, in a boarding school rather like Kath's here. But I expect they have central heating. <laughs> and then in the holidays in a freezing vicarage where I had guardians in Norfolk, um, and I had this to comfort me. And it was an amazing comfort, those verses at the bottom there, from John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. So the point today, simple, and we're not going to extend the length of this service because it is a simple point. Take comfort. Whatever life throws at us, no one will snatch us out of God's hand. He will not forget us. He has engraved our names on the palm of his hands. Remember that for yourself if you're feeling lonely, abandoned, hard done by. But perhaps if you're not happily in that state at the moment, just think of those around you who might be. And this comfort and these words you can bring to them. And it can be a reminder for them for years to come. Amen. Thank you, Peter. God does not forget you. Whatever circumstances you go through, he's got you in the palm of his hand. And there's no safer place to be than in the arms of Jesus. Let's do a worship song. I'd love to share something, if that's all right. I um, had a phone call from my mum yesterday morning, and she was 89 last Saturday. And um, my mum doesn't have a visual memory. I mean, she literally does not have a visual memory. Um, well, except. Um, so she can't see people's faces. She can't visualize things in her mind. But not last night, but the night before, so she told me yesterday morning, she had a dream. My dad died in 2000. She had a dream, and there was my dad standing in a doorway, smiling. And it was just amazing. She, she was really thrilled. And I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, my dad was you know, very special, obviously, my dad. And, um, um, and then she read this, she read the first book of, Re the first chapter of Revelation, and there is a bit here. And it just so links up with 
with yesterday and, and remembering Rick. Um, when I saw him, so this is Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Hallelujah. Yeah. Thank you. There is strength within sorrow, there is beauty in our tears, and you made us in the morning with a love that casts out fear. You are working in our waiting. Stop. 